The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Stratford University presents Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And Andrew, this, as you know, is the first time I've been back into the studio since the pandemic. Yeah, welcome back. I haven't been in the studio for 15 months. Yeah, and you still don't trust our coffee. I see you brought your own I brought uh, coffee my own today. Starbucks so. coffee. Yeah, yeah I see um, that. It's it's a it's a bit of a bittersweet uh, homecoming because Jim's not here. That is true. And uh, he wanted me to come back uh, two or three months ago, and I said, "Well, Jim, let me finish the summer down at the Bay House." And he said, "Okay." Now I'm here, and Jim's not here. Yeah. But um, I tell you, I, I've had a lot of time thinking about the experience that I had with Jim as co-host, actually since March 11th, 2007. And I decided to pull out some of the some of the most fun bits that Jim and I had done over that time and kind of relive it for for everyone here. And and and, uh, and Jim did have some favorites. And Jim actually made the show uh, interesting. You know, sometimes I can go off the deep end with technology and Jim will just play some really interesting music or sound effects to get me back on track. So today what we're going to do, we're going to do a few letters uh, of listeners that um, are talking about Jim. Then we're going to replay a segment that was broadcast on August 28th that Andrew had created where we could really focus on Jim's creativity. And then we'll have some segments from prior shows that I think will be a lot of fun as we remember Jim. In in my uh, bunker section this week. It's no longer prof- um, um, observations from the bunker. It's observations out of the bunker. <laughs> I'll reflect on Jim and what Jim meant to me over these past many years. But now it's time for, we have many, many letters in the mailbox. We have an email uh, from Philip Nicholson. Sorry to hear uh, today about the loss of Jim Ross. I cannot tell you how much The show with Doc and Jim has meant to me over the years. I hope and pray for the well-being of his family. Such a shock. I hope that your show can continue, even though I know it will be a challenge. A listener for many, many years, Dr. Philip Nicholson. Phil, thanks for your comments, and thanks especially for your loyalty. We will continue. We have Andrew here. Andrew's been with us as producer, and now he's been promoted to co-host. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Doc, I was shocked and saddened when I heard of Jim's passing today on the show. I imagine this must have been somewhat of a shock for you as well. I know you've had a number of other co-hosts over the years, but I think the chemistry between you and Jim and Mr. Big Voice was really pretty good. I do not know how you're going. uh, I don't really know what to say except I'll miss Jim and his version of Mr. Big Voice. I'm not sure if there's a a replacement or not at this point. I will, of course, continue to be glued to my radio every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for Stratford University's Tech Talk Show. All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Thanks, Bob. Your attention to Mr. Big Voice was an inspiration for Jim, and he especially liked to accentuate the Canada piece just for you. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. Tuned into Federal News Radio to listen to Tech Talk podcast today and was taken aback with the news that your partner, Jim Russ, has died of a heart attack on the 18th of, of August, a day or 
or so before his 58th birthday. My deepest condolences for you for the loss of a really good friend and sidekick. What a shock. 57 is a bit young to have a heart attack, which makes his death all the more so surprising. My prayers are with you and your colleagues on the radio station and Stratford University for your loss. A frequent Tech Talk listener, Arnie, in Colorado Springs. Thanks, Arnie. Arnie used to listen in the D.C. area, and then he moved to Colorado Springs, and he continued to listen to the show on the podcast. He's been with us for many, many years. And, of course, Andrew had uh, some reflections on Jim that can just show and highlight Jim's creativity. Andrew? Those were the last words Jim ever said to me on Saturday, August 14th, as he walked out the station doors. See you in September, just like the song. Now, when Jim said something like that, you could count on it. When he said he'd be somewhere or do something, you could bet on it. For 14 years of Saturdays, I knew that if we were having a live tech talk that day, Jim was going to come through that door on time and ready to do some radio. This time, Jim did not keep his word. It's September and I don't see him. Four days after that last see you, and one day before his 58th birthday, in the early hours of August 18th, Jim left this world in the very hospital in which he came into this world, at the St. Joseph Medical Center in Towson. So that's one thing to know about Jim Russ. He was a Baltimore kid through and through, born and raised, never lived any farther from his hometown than the suburbs of Washington, D.C., The other thing to know about Jim is that he was a radio guy, never wanted to do anything else, dreamt about it as a kid, got his first job at a small-town station in Maryland when he was in his teens. Jim spent most of his career as a traffic reporter, heard for many years on WTOP and its various sister stations, and for the last decade on the station where he once worked as a college intern, Baltimore's WBAL. Jim clearly had a passion for this particular mission in radio, to tell as many people as would tune in where the bad traffic was that day and how to get around it. But his passion for radio went beyond his weekday job. For the last 14 years, Jim found his creative outlet in Tech Talk Radio. When he took on co-hosting duties in 2007, he didn't just re-record the intro in his own voice. He used the capabilities of our station's editing program to turn himself into the voice of a computer. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. So just one of the many voices of Jim. In case you never figured it out, Jim was Mr. Big Voice, except for this cut right here. There's a letter in your mailbox. That was George Carlin from a stand-up bit that I'm better off not explaining to you right now if I want to keep my job. But everything else Mr. Big Voice said, it was Jim Russ, digitally enhanced. Profiles in IT. But did you really know this was Jim as well? From Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yeah, and as the years went on, Mr. Big Voice seemed to have more and more to say. Remember how some people said back in 2016 that if Donald Trump won the election, they'd move to Canada? Did anyone really do that? Well, Mr. Big Voice made sure we never forgot about those expats north of the border. If you're stuck in Canada and using Snapchat, dial us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. If you've lost your phone in a snowdrift in Canada, if you're contemplating lunar exploration in Canada. If you're messing around with your TV antenna on an icy roof in Canada. If you're living in a log cabin without heat or water in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. If you're making innovative audio oscillators in your garage in Canada. 
If you're dreaming of Christmas in Hawaii, but you're in Canada. If you're fusing silica in Canada. If you're looking for a CompuLand in Canada. Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. So yes, there was always a reference to the wildcard line. This was pretty much the standard routine. If you're calling from east of the island of Barbados, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from west of Montreal, Canada, it's 877-936-9333. Anyone else calling from anywhere else, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Dial now. Okay, not only was that a reference to the late-night nationally broadcast radio show of that explorer of the unexplained Art Bell, but it was a tribute to another talk radio great, Phil Hendry, who loved to skewer the hokiness of Art Bell. Such was Jim's love of radio, and his enthusiasm for having a little fun with us every Saturday morning at 9. We'll miss you, Jim. We can't replace you. We won't forget you. And we thank you, Jim Russ. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now we're going to travel back to June 9th, 2007, for one of Jim Russ's favorite bits. Profiles in This week, we are going to profile Ada Lovelace. <laughs> Jim, it's not that Ada. Oh, it's not, not that, that Ada. Not that Lovelace. No, it is not Ada uh, Lovelace. No, it's a different Ada. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I think I picked the wrong music. How, you know, does this work better? That's, oh, that's this much, is better. much okay. better. All right. You know, it is really hard to try to elevate the the level of this group. Well, you, I'm, know, you know, I'm doing my best. You know, you get what you pay for. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. <laughs> Little inside joke. Oh, there. we're just joking. Now around. we have here Ada Lovelace. Her full name was Augusta Ada uh, Byron King. Countess of Lovelace. Now that oh, that's is a where mouthful. the confusion came in. Sorry. Yes, Ada Byron was the daughter of a brief marriage between romantic poet Lord Byron and Anne Isabel Milbank. Four months after they were married, and Ada was—I mean, four months after Ada was born, Byron left England in forever, disgraced. He was thrown out of the country almost because he was having an affair with his half sister. Well, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. And it turned out that Ada 
was named after his half-sister, <laughs> which <laughs> even made it worse. Yeah, that doesn't work. So uh, Lord Byron never actually saw Ada again, and I think he regretted that. If you, Lord Byron wrote a poem, Child Harold, and there's a well-known verse in it. He says, Is thy face like thy mother's, my fair child, Ada, sole daughter of my house and of my heart? When I last saw thy young blue eyes, they smiled, and when we parted, not as we now part, but with a hope. So I think he'd always wanted to see Ada again, but alas, he wasn't allowed. Ada Byron married William King, and King inherited the noble title, a noble title, and he became the Earl of Lovelace, and Ada became the Countess of Lovelace. So over time, she was called Ada Lovelace. The, there you go. Yes. And now, why was she... Uh, it turned out that Lady Byron did not want Ada to fall into the trap of poetry the ev- and be and follow in the footsteps of her evil, evil father, evil poetic father. So she taught Ada mathematics. She tutored her in mathematics and in music. And she wanted the mathematics to counter the dangerous poetic tendencies of her father. When Ada was 17, she met a man by the name of Charles Babbage. Now, they began a long correspondence that lasted many years uh, about mathematics and about other topics and logic. Charles Babbage was the Lucasian professor of mathematics at Cambridge and was known as the inventor of the difference engine and the analytic engine. Now, Babbage held the same post. This actually, this Lucasian professor position was a very esteemed post. That's the same post that was held by Sir Isaac Newton, who actually was known for developing the equations of motion. In fact, he had to invent calculus to do that. It's also the post held by Stephen Hawking, who's known for his work on, on black holes and Hawking's radiation. So it was a very esteemed position. So she went into the very highest circles of the elite, her and her mother after the father left. And uh, she became uh, quite uh, a good acquaintance of Babbage, and Babbage came up with, he initially had a difference engine, which was a way of calculating polynomials. And it was based on Newton's method of differences, which I, I really, it's hard to explain here on the radio, right. but, uh, but as you go, uh, you can actually compute a, uh, uh, polynomials through, through uh, adding numbers only. You can add either the first difference or the second difference. Through simple simple adding and accumulators, you can actually compute polynomials. And if you want to look up Newton's difference method, you can see how it works. So he created a, a machine for doing uh, for calculating polynomials using the difference method. Well, it turned out that then he got the idea, it, why don't I get a machine that, that's more general purpose? Instead of only calculating one polynomial, why don't I use uh, uh, cards that can actually be inserted in the machine, and it will compute different polynomials depending on what I want it to do? So it becomes, in a sense, programmable. And he called that machine the uh, the uh, analytic machine. And um, he talked to uh, Ada about it, and uh, he tried to get funding for it, and he was working on the analytic engine, which was quite complicated, and finally the British government just wouldn't fund that. But it turned out that Babbage was a little bit of a jerk, and he wasn't very well liked. Uh, and so he sort of enlisted Ada to work with him and help. And there was a, a paper that she translated by a Frenchman, which talked about the um, about the um, the uh, analytic engine. Uh, Louis Menebre, she, she translated that paper. She put notes at the end of the paper. And in the notes, she proposed to use the analytic engine to compute Bernoulli numbers. And those were much more complicated than simple polynomials. And in order to do that, she had to basically do some simple programming things like loops. Instead, a loop is where if you want to use the same block of code multiple times, you can loop through that same block of code until a condition is met or not met, and you can jump out of it. So she invented, had to invent loops. You also might have a program where you evaluate a condition, and if it's one value, you do block of code A. If it's another value, you do block of code B. That's called a branch. So she had to invent branching. And so she, because she worked on this uh, program for Bernoulli numbers and proposed some methods uh, of programming, she is known as the first computer programmer. 
Now, um, just out of curiosity, at what point did Mr. Babbage go into the software retail business? Because <laughs> you know, I remember Babbage's was a famous, was a big-time software retailer up until, like, 93 or 94. <laughs> it's probably a different uh, Babbage. It could, I think be, a, it could be a different but, Babbage. But this is fascinating that, that you know, modern-day computers have their roots back in the mid-1800s. They did because it, it turned out that, that what Babbage did in, in a mechanical way, everything which was built into the CPU that in Intel did, or the ENIAC, or the first machine with tubes, was a was actually anticipated by Babbage when he made his mechanical engine, and much of the programming techniques were uh, were anticipated by Babbage. Now it turned out, you see that that Babbage, the the, the key insight, he said, let's separate the calculating engine from the program. That defines what we calculate. In other words, we separate the program from the engine itself. That was a key conceptual leap. This is a difficult concept to get your brain around because this is before there was electricity, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is a mechanical this machine. Was, this, this was, by the way, was he never built it because he couldn't get funded. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, but this is all conceptual. It was all conceptual. When it was finally built, it did work. It was going to be powered by a steam engine. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's convenient. <laughs> it would be powered by now. So when but, was it actually built? Is that a curious? It was it was built in the early 1900s. Oh, okay. Right. Well, this is no, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. The it was the uh, it was early yeah 1900s. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have so much to discuss with this th this mechanical machine that I think we need to continue. Profiles in IT. Right after this. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk. We're talking about Ada Lovelace. That's right. <laughs> Not this Ada Lovelace. No, no, no not, not that, that Ada Lovelace. No. The other Ada Lovelace. Okay, I just like playing that song. <laughs> that's right, I know. I just, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, but you know, that's all right. <laughs> well, it, uh, this, we're talking about the analytic machine that had been developed by Charles Babbage, had been in, proposed by Charles Babbage, and the, uh, the uh, Ada Lovelace, who actually wrote a program for calculating Bernoulli, and, uh, Bernoulli numbers using that engine. The... Uh, See, Babbage got the idea for having the cards to control the thing because not too long before that, there was a um, Joseph Marie Jacquard invented an automatic loom which was operated with punch cards. So if you'd want to do like uh, flowers or roses, you just put you put in a different punch card, and the loom would 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 do would do something the pattern, different. Right. So he basically said, look, if if they can create a loom that creates different patterns by putting in punch cards, why can't I make a calculator that will calculate different things with punch cards? I mean, that was really the conceptual precursor of his idea. Now you said that he never actually built this. He was never able to get the funding to do this. No, well, the thing is, Babbage is like a tinkerer. He started tinkering on the uh, on the uh, difference engine, mm -hmm. and he never finished it. And of course, he was getting funded by the government. And then he and then he started working on the analytic engine, but he never actually wrote his final, you know, report on the on the difference engine. And then he wanted funding for the analytic engine. So they probably saw this as a guy who didn't get things done, and they stopped giving him money, right? And yeah. plus, he was he just wasn't very friendly. People didn't like him. He was a jerk. <laughs> a I mean, he too. was a jerk. I mean, it, you know, he needed a PR guy. And so he really couldn't, he really didn't have much support within the scientific community then. And uh, so he, he didn't do much. But, the, but there was an interesting uh, um, thing to be seen in the way he was able to separate the programming from the computer, and that was an important element. I, I decided to go back and look at mechanical computers in general because that was the first example of a, of a me mechanical computer. And I actually have in my home the first mechanical computer that was an, a model of the first mechanical computer that was ever actually um, actually developed, and it was developed back in uh, Babylonia in the 4th century B.C., the abacus. Right. And I have an abacus at home, and, you know, when sometimes during tax season, I'll pull out the abacus. And, uh, that makes, and, uh, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> I'll pull out the abacus, and I'll, and I'll, I'll work on it. Uh, then there was a uh, the second mechanical computer that we know about was actually uncovered. It was built in the uh, first century B.C. by the Greeks, and it was uncovered in a shipwreck uh, at Antikythera. 
And so they call it the Antikythera mechanism. And this is a very complicated mechanism that's used for predicting where the moon is located, where Mars is located, where Venus is located, and... Uh, it also can anticipate leap year. There are irregularities in the moon's uh, uh, pattern that, that, are, that are predicted. This is a very sophisticated set of gears, uh, and it was, uh, it's now been, uh, they, it was actually embedded in, looked like a rock because it had been so corroded, and they x-rayed it, and they tried to, you know, reverse engineer it, and now they've built models of it, and they were surprised at the degree of sophistication. And this was a, really a mechanical calculator for calculating planet location. The next mechanical calculator that came along was built by Pascal in 1642, and it was an eight-digit calculator, uh, and it was, uh, and it was, you know, it was uh, basically used for calculating probably uh, polynomials again. And uh, but it had trouble working because whenever he would try to uh, carry place over, its gears would jam. <laughs> So it, and then the uh, then Charles Babbage conceived of the difference engine, which was really built on the Pascal idea. He did that after uh, Jacquard had come up with the automatic loom control in 1820. Babbage proposed the uh, the difference engine, which was a massive steam-powered mechanical calculator, and it was designed to print astronomical tables. And he built it. And he made attempts to build it over the course of the next 20 years, only to have the project canceled by the British government in 1842. You know, that's what, just what I want is a steam-powered laptop. Yeah. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> oh, drat these computers. They're so naughty and so complex. I, I could that. pinch them. Now, I got so interested in uh, mechanical computers that I decided to buy one. So I ordered my own mechanical computer this uh, this last week. It's going to be arriving on uh, Monday or Tuesday of next week. I'm going to be putting it together. Mm -hmm. This uh, mechanical computer was uh, I spent actually uh, $60 for it. It's what? that's uh... <laughs> I went to www.mindsontoys.com. All one word. Mindsontoys.com and I got the Digicomp 1 version 2. It turns out that Digicomp 1 version 1 was built back in 1963, and it sold for $5.95. It is basically cardboard and wood and, and wires. I was going to say that was built of twigs and berries probably, yeah. right? But And a lot of people uh, actually got uh, this Digicomp 1 version 1 back in 1963, and that's how they got interested in technology. So there's, it, it's very uh, nostalgic for many people because that was their first taste of how a computer works. So if you want to get it trying to understand really how binary computers operate, I mean, a mechanical computer is a good way to visualize what's going on. So this week I'm going to – so, I, so they, they, they basically resurrected the Digicop 1 version 1, and they are remanufacturing it as version two, but it's a it's a basically a copy of the original design. And this MindsOnToys.com is selling it for uh, fifty eight dollars. And then uh, so I'm going to be getting it this week. I'll report on this my mechanical computer after I um, after I get it built. Gotcha. I hope this doesn't work out the same way the steam engine did. Oh well, yeah. Well, I'm going to bring in that bring steam that engine back because so I've got that steam engine. It's really listen. That's what I've got the steam engine to run the mechanical computer. Perfect. <laughs> this, now this may uh, result in the, the fire that takes place eventually in the studio when you bring all this stuff. That's exactly in. <laughs> right. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the ubiquitous Mister Big Voice. He's not so ubiquitous today, ubiquitous today, No, we're Jim. trying to figure out where he went. Yeah. Everything's, everything's there on the computer, but for whatever reason, that computer is not playing audio. And Andrew and I are in here with uh, mallets and a hacksaw trying to figure it out. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers – more of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. 
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time to have observations out of the bunker. I have escaped the bunker, finally, but I'm still thinking and still observing. And this past two weeks, I've been thinking a lot about Jim and, uh, and about what it meant to work with him over these past many years since 2007. Jim's been my co-host since March 11th, 2007. Before Jim, David Bird was my co-host when I started the show in, in 2000. So Tech Talk's been around for more than 20 years. Now, Jim kept the show interesting. See, the problem is I'm just a techie. And, you know, I can get boring sometimes, especially if I get excited about something. And Jim would pull me back to reality and play some music and liven up the show. If it weren't for Jim, Tech Talk could, been, could have been quite a boring affair. And Jim loved to create theater of the mind. That was his specialty, theater of the mind. Look, he created the, uh, the bit, the introduction to observations from the bunker with the sliding doors and squeaks. He created Mr. Big Voice, and Mr. Big Voice evolved over time. He created the pop quiz. He created many things as we went, uh, as we went along through these many years. And Jim loved to add music to the show pieces of music to the show that would surprise me. I frequently really wouldn't know what Jim had up his sleeve. Um, you see, what we do, this was how we worked. Um, I'm, I'm still operating on a, you know, on, on a college student's schedule. I get up at 2.30 a.m. and do an all-nighter to prepare Tech Talk every Saturday. <clears throat> and then around 6.30, I send the show outline to Jim and to Andrew. And then Jim takes a look at it, and then between 6.30 and 9 o'clock, he cooks something up for the show, and I don't know what it's going to be. It could be music, could be uh, sound effects, and of course, he would tailor make Mr. Big Voice for whatever the show's topics were that day. And Jim would also create best of shows whenever I was traveling, like I, I was not here August 21st and August 28th because I had graduation. I had a 9 o'clock graduation for our Baltimore campus on the 21st, and I had um, the uh, Virginia campus graduation for our, all of our Virginia campuses on the 28th. So I was unable to really prepare those shows. So Jim was actually working on those best of shows, but he never really finished them. So Andrew filled in a a show in memory of Jim for one of those days, and, uh, and we move forward. Now, I regret not coming back to the studio earlier. Jim wanted me to come back two, three months ago. I haven't seen Jim for 15 months. If only I would have come back earlier, at least we could have done a couple of shows together. But I was with him virtually every Saturday. <clears throat> he helped me. Uh, he helped me get the. He and Andrew helped me get the audio studios going at the house. Um, 
you know, there was a little bit of echo. Jim located a uh, absor- absorption panel that would go be- behind the mic. He he basically was very critical of my Wi-Fi. He said, you know, the Wi-Fi is giving you um, irregular sound. It doesn't sound right. And I was, you know, very offended by that. But <clears throat> the fact is, when I replaced my Wi-Fi with a hard Ethernet cable, boom, it solved the problem. Um I loved working with Jim. He made the show fun for me because he always came up with really interesting things. Now, the amazing thing is that when Jim and I first started working together on March 11th, 2007, I really didn't know Jim. He just showed up in the studio. Uh, I think David Bird and Beverly had asked Jim to come down, and I said, okay, let's give it a shot. And he came down, and we did our first show on March 11th, 2007, and that's the first time we'd ever met. And it's amazing how well we clicked. So what I'd like to do is go back and give you a bit from that very first show on March 11th where we talk about daylight savings time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. This is Dr. Richard Schertz with... Jim Russ, and Jim. thanks for wearing the uh, the corduroy blazer today since well, we're in the virtual facu- faculty that's lounge. That's right. We, we got all the couches ready to go. We've got the coffee bar set up, so we're really enjoying ourselves. You know, one little thing that people don't realize is not every state implemented daylight savings time. For instance, Arizona does not is not on daylight savings time. Why? I don't have a clue. I think they're just contrarian. Part of I, uh, part, half of uh, the eastern half of Indiana in the same situation. It's in the same boat too. But what's but in the case of Arizona, you see the the Navajo Indian Nation has decided to be on daylight savings time because their nation spans three states. So within Arizona, the Navajo Nation is on daylight savings time, but the rest of Arizona is not. Well, that's nice and confusing. I know it is. Hawaii is not on daylight savings time. That m- sort of makes sense. American Samoa, Guam, Puerto Rico. The Virgin Islands. So it's a uh, it's not necessarily universally approved. I mean, China, for instance, is not on daylight savings time. Most uh, most they, countries don't. Most countries don't do it. Ch- did you know China, which spans five time zones, is only one time zone officially? They make everyone in China be on Beijing time. Wow. That's amazing. But, you know, the, the name of this, first of all, it's daylight saving Time, not that, savings. That's right. There is no S after savings. They threw that one away. I know. that. that is actually, that's actually kind of an interesting thing. I went and looked that up, and because it's daylight saving time, as in saving daylight kind of time, and it's, or as in saving a ball game, it's not, it's, it's not savings as in savings account. But most people just put the S on it, I have to say. Yeah, we've, we've kind of dropped it, too. We just say daylight time now. Daylight time. And we're yes. not really saving anything, are we? No, we're not. Same we're, amount of sunlight. We're only shifting time. So it really should be daylight shifting time. But, you know, this is, this is Congress at work, and they're trying to, trying to save energy. Now, it did create a small problem for computer people mm-hmm. this daylight, because they want all the computers to reset automatically. And, uh, and of course, the previous... Systems were set to, you know, implement daylight savings time on April 2nd, and not, they didn't account for this three-week shift. So everybody had to install a patch to actually implement the new daylight saving program. And uh, Microsoft's patch came out uh, six or eight weeks ago, and it was automatically downloaded. A couple of weeks ago, Palm came out, and they said everybody had to had to up had to change their Palm Pilot, and never they they had to up, update that in order to get the daylight savings time taken care of. I noticed that the BlackBerry Enterprise Server. They require you to upgrade to the 4.0 edition before they give you the daylight savings patch. Oh, how nice! Which is about a thousand bucks. I think that's that's kind, even better. That's kind of a scam. I don't really like that at all. Now, what happens if you have a system that doesn't reset automatically? Like my phone system at work does not. I can't patch it with a new one. So if I go in today and change it to daylight savings time, then on April 2nd it will go forward another hour. So then on April 2nd, I'll have to basically set it back an hour to bring it back into alignment unless I can find a patch for this system. So what are you going to do? Just leave it wrong for a couple of weeks? or No, I think we'll, gonna, we'll, gonna we'll, we'll try to patch it. So all of the IT guys are going to have to come into work on April 2nd 
to try to fix things that weren't properly patched. Now, if you want to get the correct time on the Internet, have you ever noticed that? You'd like to find out what, what, what time you'd like to get. Now, how, how do you usually get your correct time? Well, in the broadcasting business, <laughs> I thought I was so smart and sharp by going and dialing the Naval Observatory. Oh, I see. Here in D.C. That's a local number. That's a local number. And that's just a, that's a derivative time standard off of the uh, official time standard put out by NIST. But you can actually... But you can get it off the web, right? You can, you can get the official NIST time. You can go to a website called www.time.gov, and it will give you the official time display right on your computer screen. You just select what time zone you're in, and it gives it to you right off the bat. So you don't have to call anybody. You can just sit there and look at it, you know, blinking right along on your machine. Another interesting thing, you can also get your computers to automatically update the time. There's a there's a website that NIST also has, time.nist.gov, and that puts out a uh, network time protocol uh, which which communicates the time over the Internet to a computer. For instance, I can set my, uh, if I want to just double-check the time on my Windows machine, I can, have, I can have it check the time against that NIST site. I can select it, it goes to the NIST site, and it resets the time automatically. So my, my actual, uh, you know, it used to be on your computer, like your battery would get weak, your clock would slow down. Now with this atomic time, the computers reset themselves to the atomic time standard over the Internet about every day. So even if your clock is slow, you don't notice it. That's pretty neat. Did you, you want to talk briefly about how this atomic clock works? Yeah, how much time do we have? We've got a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. Okay, this is actually a cesium fountain atomic clock. Now, it's, uh, how, this, uh, how this works, it's based on, you know, they, they, they had a... People have made cesium lasers. Cesium lasers, uh, you know, emit kind of a, uh, a reddish uh, radiation, and so they have a nice uh, transition point or fluorescence point where it, where it emits light. And so they're taking advantage of that. And what they do, they emit some cesium atoms into a vacuum. And they have six lasers focused on the cesium atoms, and these six lasers bunch up a little ball of cesium atoms in one place, and they cool them down to near absolute zero. Then they have two of the lasers force this ball of cesium atoms to drift through a microwave resonance cavity, which is actually it's like a microwave oven. And they tune the frequency of this microwave cavity to make the cesium atoms emit light or fluoresce. And they keep tuning the frequency until they maximize the fluorescence. And that frequency that the microwave is set at is the resonant frequency of the cesium atom. And that's what's used for the time standard. And so this ball flows up through the resonant frequency, up through the cavity, and then it drops back again like a fountain. And then a little bit later, another ball goes up through the resonant cavity and back down again. And they keep tuning that resonant frequency each time a ball passes through, constantly resetting it. So it's actually a per fairly simple idea, but they can achieve uh, time accuracies of one second in 60 billion years, uh, 60 million years. That, that, that amounts to a tenth of a nanosecond a day. A nanosecond is 10 to the minus 9 seconds, so it's 10 to the minus... 10 to the minus 10 seconds per day accuracy. Pretty simple concept, but the picture of this shows that it's a very large object. You wouldn't want to have one in your house, no, would you? No, it's, it, it's a fairly big object. Yeah, the yeah, government you, does it, so you don't have to, that's right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So now you know what the atomic clock is, and that's used to communicate with all of the uh, radio frequency clocks out there. Very good. So, Doc, I just have to catch us up on that. Time.gov, still up? Still working. That is fantastic. I mean, it's and, and our computers are still checking the time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, did that sound like Jim and I had just met? No. That was that... our very first show. No, that's love at first sight, Doc. It is amazing. Yeah. It is chemistry at first sight. Chemistry what at first sight. Chemist... Well, you're a scientist. You're not going to believe in love, but you do that's believe right. in chemistry. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, we weren't the only ones listening to that. David Bird, my first oh, co-host, yeah. was listening and to he's that. He's a harsh critic. He's, he's a harsh a, critic. He is, and he, you know, he's a radio man through and through, yes, and he, he wanted to make certain that I ended up with a suitable replacement co-host, so he called in on the second show to give Jim a critique. I hate to divert for a second here, but we have a we have a special guest, an old friend of yours on the phone. Oh, really? Yeah. 
David? Yeah, I, I don't know about the old part. Oh, <laughs> oh a young friend. Uh, yeah, there we go, Doc. Oh, yeah. Now, listen, i got to tell you, I don't know what's wrong with Kate Brown this morning, but that voice is so deep. Uh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're keeping her way too busy. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. this, this is how Kate sounds after she's been partying all night at a St. Patrick's Day party. Yeah, we don't call her man-based enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anyway, we go from Wi-Fi to buying batteries, Doc. It's always a pleasure listening to this show, I tell you. And Jim Russ, I had no idea you had this kind of technical know-how. Well, you know, I've got to, I've got to learn new skills. I'm telling you, man, I'm actually sitting in a, in a big fluffy pair of boxes in my wing back listening to this show going, yeah, this is good. This is real good. I like that. Too much information. In fact, I think we're going to have to fire a missile <laughs> yeah, fire, you right know. now. Here it goes. Yeah, oh. Wait a minute, okay. David. Shoot it. Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, I'll let you guys continue. I'm liking what I'm hearing here, Jim. <laughs> okay. Thanks, David. You're done, David. Later. So there we go. That's another uh, a real endorsement of uh, of Jim Russell as a Tech Talk Radio co-host because David Bird was my co-host for many years before Jim came on board, and he was very, very confident that Jim would be an excellent co-host, and it did work out. Jim has been co-host since 2007. Now, on our fourth show, Jim was really coming into his stride. This was April Fool's Day, and he just surprised me with sounds that I had never heard before. So now we have April Fool's, and I think technology guys, techies or nerds, really have a lot of fun with April Fool's, and I always go in particular to the Google website to see what their April Fool's joke is because Google is world-renowned for their April Fool's jokes. So I actually waited up until midnight so I could see the release <laughs> oh, no. of the Google April Fool's <laughs> you joke. You need help, man. You need help. <laughs> I know. It is a, it is a problem. So and, so I, I it, this is really – somebody has way too much time on their hands. Well, Google had a new product announcement. It's the Google – T-I-S-P, it's beta, it's a free in-home wireless broadband service that delivers connectivity for the user via the plumbing system. So you go to the Google website, and you know, right below the box where you type in whatever you're trying to find, there's this new Get Free Breakthrough Broadband with Google TISP Beta. So you click on this little link here, and you get to this very official-looking page that tells you all about this broadband, free, in-home wireless service. <laughs> what a great idea, right? T-I-S-P stands for Toilet Internet Service Provider. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, wait a minute. Oh, there it is. We have mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now they... They have very detailed instructions uh, for, 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 for installing this. You may, they have a, it's a fiber optic system with a weight. You're supposed to drop the weight down the toilet, and then you flush the toilet, and then it goes down into the plumbing system and makes your broadband connection. The funny thing, there is a picture of this on the, uh, the welcome page. Mom and little boy sitting in a laptop. In the background, there's the toilet yeah. with the wire going right down into the bowl. Um, and then you click on this, and this is this, this, a, a very nice schematic, and the do-it-your-home kit, yes, which includes a pair of rubber gloves. <laughs> That's nice. And then they go through the whole thing about how to install it. Then if you go to if you go to the uh, frequently asked questions page on this uh, the the uh, the speed which is called trickle was is uh, is eight megabits per second it's free now if you want to get the upgraded speed which they call the number two it's uh, it's sixteen megabits per second and the and that and that costs nine ninety five a month if you want to get the highest speed which they call the royal flush that's thirty two megabits per second. <laughs> Or that's eight mega, uh, 32 megabits. Wait a minute, we've got more mail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see that you know the powers of the Washington Post Radio were foresightful enough to go ahead and subscribe to this. Yes, we're a forward-thinking organization. Now, yeah. see, I, in fact, I, I was going to Washington Post to see whether they were having any, any any April Fool's jokes on their website, and I couldn't find any. We're way too serious around uh, here for you that. Know, that's yeah. just it. You know, I just love that door. I just sit down here and meditate in my bunker. <laughs> Uh, Just don't get your foot week, caught in it, all right? And this, yeah, we need oil, I suspect. Uh, that's one thing we need.
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now we're going to move to today's events and to see what's going on in technology today. We're going to start out with the warning of the week, there's a USB cable that actually has a lightning connector that you would plug into an iPhone or an iPad that can actually hack your data. There's a security researcher who goes by the initials MG, and he developed a series of cables that were really used for covertly recording information from uh, smart devices. That means you could plug this thing into a MacBook, an iPad, an iPhone to record anything that's uh, written on the keyboard. Now, the cable records keystrokes of any unsuspecting victim, and it wirelessly sends the private data to a hacker who can be up to a mile away. Now, it does this with a hidden chip it's, that's found in the USB cable's plastic shell, and that creates a Wi-Fi hotspot that the hackers can remotely connect to using an interface on, the, on a web browser. Now, threat actors can then record keystrokes. This, here's the thing. This was developed by a researcher, MG, and a cybersecurity company, HAK5, <clears throat> implemented these cables, and they called them the OMG cables. And they are named after, of course, the creator, MG. It's, they say it's built for covert field use with features enhanced remote execution, stealth, and forensics evasion. Now, here's the thing. I went to the HAK5.org website, and I can buy one of these cables for $119. They're available. So suppose you're sitting there at uh, Starbucks and you leave your uh, leave your computer there on charging on, on the wall in, in charge you know charging up, and uh, and then while you're while you're in the restroom somebody comes out and swaps the the cable that connects the uh, USB port to your uh, to your device all of a sudden they could just sit there and they could actually hack your machine and you wouldn't even know it because the cable looks identical on the outside to the cable that they had. I thought that was just a little scary, and I can't believe that they're for sale online. What do you think of that, Andrew? I don't know. Who would be in charge of policing this, though? I mean, how do we, you know, it, you have to have a law to make it illegal first? I yeah. mean, how does that even work on the Internet? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't think the cable itself is illegal, but if somebody is actually stealing data, that's where you cross the line. Right. So the cable right. guy could say, hey, wait a minute here. We didn't do anything illegal, and we can't control what our customers do it, yeah. what they do with it. We said uh, we thought our customers were only doing it for internal troubleshooting and not using it for anything else. That's right. 
But so, you can literally not tell. There must be some. There is no physical difference between the two. No, they look they look identical. Really they, they were made to look exactly the same. This, this is a this is a real issue. Well, don't leave your stuff unattended. <laughs> exactly. That is <laughs> that's like the old school way to do security. That is exactly yeah. right. Oh, you, you remember the uh, this uh, McFlurry machines are always uh, at McDonald's are always breaking down. Remember earlier in the. Sh- you know, a few months ago, we talked about the website McBroken.com. Yeah. And it tracks all the broken ice cream machines. Well, the FTC has noticed all these broken machines. And they're saying there is a problem here because when they go to the franchises, they're not allowed to repair the machines. They have to have the company come in and repair them. And the FTC says this violates the right to repair law. And now they're investigating the McFlurry machines to see what's going on. Now, you know this right to repair law. Let's say you get earpods from Apple and the battery goes out. Can you replace that battery? Right. No. Right. You're, you're not supposed to. No. And, and a lot of people just, just, just buy new earpods. Right. Or right. you get an iPhone you know, you, you really can't replace the battery. Correct. Some some people actually solder in the battery. And then what the companies do, they say, if you open it up and you're not an authorized dealer, they void the warranty. Wow, yeah. And so the new law, I mean, Biden put out an executive order. Now, mm. I don't know how, how much of a law that is. He put out an executive order dictating that everyone has right to repair. I'm thinking this is probably good for the consumer. Yeah. Does an executive order override, though, all these contracts and stuff that are actually involved in, you know, creating these products? And, and in the... uh, That's the question. Right. Right. But FTC saying, OK, we got an executive order. We are a, we are an agency of the executive branch. So we're going to say it, that that's our new policy. And so now they're investigating it. But I, I thought that was interesting that the that it was triggered by the McFlurry machines. Now, I just checked. I mean, I, I went to the McBroken.com website <laughs> yeah. this morning because I never go to McDonald's to get an ice cream cone unless I check. Right. And and there were very few machines that were broken in the Washington, D.C. area. Most of them were up and running. I only saw about 10 or 12 machines that were broken. So it's not as bad as they think it is. But I think this is good news for the consumer. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's more good news for the consumer. Also, the FTC is involved with this. They are banning the spyware maker SpyPhone. Now, this this company um, this company actually makes spyware that will track people and get all of their data. Now, the Federal Trade Commission unanimously voted to ban the spyware maker SpyPhone and its chief executive officer Scott Zackerman from the surveillance industry. The agency accused the company of harvesting mobile data on thousands of people and leaving it on the open Internet. The agency said SpyPhone secretly harvested and shared data on people's physical movements, phone use, online activities through a hidden device hack, allowing the spyware purchaser to see the device's live location and view the device's emails and video chats. They sold this to anybody. And it's used by stalkers if you want to stalk somebody. So it's really quite dangerous. The spyware works by surreptitiously uh, installing itself on someone's phone, often without permission, to steal messages, photos, and everything else. It exposed victims to additional security issues. So this has been a real problem. And the good news is the FTC's on it, and I think that's good for the consumer. How would you know if you have that, um, somebody stalking you that way? Where's it? I mean, where's the act? If it's an, an app on another phone and they're actually able to hack into what you're doing wirelessly? They, they actually have to install the app on your phone. Oh, so some, again, you have to lose physical yeah, control of that's it. That's right. And know, so, don't walk away from it and yet so again. If, if you're yeah. on an Android, they could have just installed the app. Now, if you're on an iPhone, it won't allow it, an app to be installed unless you go through, unless you, unless you basically jailbreak the phone and install. Cyndia. Uh, Cyndia allows you to install apps on a jailbreak broken phone. So an iPhone person might look to see if they've got Cyndia installed, which means somebody's broken into it. An Android person is not so hard, so well protected. 
So there we go. I think oh, we're just about up. Time to listen, say listen, yeah. check us out on Tech Talk on Strap University uh, website and tell them you heard about the programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.